Around that age of 10 years old, things started to change, where I began to have the, the tendencies of OCD. It formed into a form called scripturosity. I'm not, it's a different form of OCD where you hyper obsess about your right standing with the Lord. You just can't help but think, oh man, did I say the sinner's prayer just right? Did I do these things just right? Is God really hearing me? Is God gonna save me? Is God even listening to me? God, because I knew enough, I've heard the altar call hundreds of times. I knew enough, like your ABCs growing up in church, admit, believe, and confess. I knew what to do. But the question with, with OCD was, did I do it just right? So my sister works at an Indian restaurant from a guy named Finney, and he comes up to me, and that's the first time I saw this guy. Puts his hands on my shoulders, looks at me, goes, Will, you are gonna know God. And I began to scream and scream, and as something came out, I felt a sigh, like a relief. I almost I gained control of my, my facility, and I just began to scream, Jesus! At the top of my lungs, I'm screaming, Jesus, save me! You know, I guess I would start with the first promptings of the, when I felt of the Holy Spirit. You know, I grew up in a, in a very Christ-centered home. Um, you know, one of my, my father, when he was alive, he'd always make, um, make it a point for us to go to church every Sunday and likewise my mother. And I have three older sisters. And so it was just very much ingrained, you know, in our, in our DNA that you just go to church every Sunday. It doesn't matter what you go. Um, and as a child, you know, church is kind of boring, to be honest. Uh, and so you kind of get filled like you get pulled around into it. Um, and on top of that, um, even when I was younger, my mom would serve in the orchestra. And so she would take me on Sunday evening. So I got, sometimes I'd get a double dose of church because I couldn't stay home alone. But it was in that Sunday evening service that I first felt like the promptings of the Holy Spirit just tug upon my heart. I remember being eight years old. And um, I think it was the associate pastor giving the sermon. And he's like, you know, talking about Jesus. And I was like, man, there's something happening in my heart right now. And I just felt this longing to know God. I remember him saying, if you want to know Jesus today, come on down, you know, kind of the, the Southern Baptist altar call. And I was very much used to that. And this is a very small service because it's a Sunday evening and I was a relatively small church growing up. So I got that prompt and I kind of walked the aisle and I went, I actually ended up chickening out. I told my dad about it later. I was like, Dad, I, I really wanted to go down to the front to, tonight. And he's like, oh, okay. So he kind of talked to me briefly about it and um, kind of arranged for me to get baptized because the pastor set me down and was like, you know, walking me through the steps of what it meant to be a Christian, you know, what it means to follow Jesus. And that was it. I just started my journey, simple as that, responding to the Holy Spirit's call of wanting to come to know the Lord wanting to come to know Jesus in a new way, realizing his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. I mean, I've been, I, I sat in church every Sunday. I, I heard the message hundreds of times. So, I mean, that was, I knew, you know, the way. And so and that's when my journey started, I was saying. As, as a child, I had the benefit of having older sisters, which mean they were a little bit, some of them were further along in their faith. One in particular, Lacey, she was always very involved in the church the youth group. And I would just ask her questions and she would say, well, we'll read your Bible, read your Bible. And I was nine years old. Reading was the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I just like, oh, I guess I'll read the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible. I think I started in Exodus. And so I read the Bible and I remember reading through Corinthians and Paul's letters, you know, back then. And I was like a nine-year-old reading. I read the, I read the passage. I think it was, you know, desire to gifts, desire prophecy, desire to speak in tongues. Because Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I was like, what is tongues? What is prophecy? But it's kind of the Old Testament. I was like, God, I don't want that. I didn't even know that was a thing anymore. Um, and so I was like, God, I, I want prophecy. 
as a nine-year-old, I remember just reading the verses and be like, God, I desire these gifts. I desire the prophecy and whatever tongues is, I'll take that too. <laughs> and so I was, I was just praying that. And I remember bringing it up to a church leader just, you know, long later, you know, a few few weeks later, I was like, yeah, I was reading the Bible and it told me what, what is prophecy? What is tongues? I remember a church leader, you know, well-intended just took me aside and said, look, you know, those gifts, they ceased. They were for the apostles. And I said, whoa, okay. Um, I just kind of, you know, as a, as a kid, you take those things and like, you just trust your leaders. And I was like, okay, well, um, that makes sense, I guess. Where does it, where does it say that? And he's like, well, it's, that's kind of a discussion for another time. And he's kind of, he's kind of pushing me off a little bit because he didn't have time to go into it all. But we never really followed up. I just kind of took it verbatim. I kind of just went on with my walk, you know, as, as a child in the faith, just desiring God. Um, it didn't always stay easy, um, especially for me. Around that age of 10 years old, things started to change. And it wasn't anything I did, I don't think. It just started happening. Where I began to have the, the tendencies of OCD. If you're familiar with OCD, if you're watching you have it, you, you, I don't need to explain it to you. This is more so for people who don't have kind of understanding of what it is. Obsessive compulsive disorder. So it's like a mental disorder where you find a fear and anxiety. And then you begin to fixate on it. And you begin to obsess on it, which is why the obsessive part. And a compulsion is an action. It's like a it's like a boiling kettle. And a compulsion is like a vent, like where the steam releases. And it makes you feel good for like a moment or two. And then, then you kind of go back and then you kind of repress that fear. And, and then you just, you know, it just continues. It cycles. And so I remember when I was 10 years old, my fear was like my mom or dad dying. So I just obsessed about that fear. So I just like think they'd get in a car crash. And so my compulsion would be like snapping, making verbal sounds. I'd have to do it repetitively until I felt like that fear kind of resolved, kind of went away. Hmm. And so I just did these things. I didn't know if they were normal. I didn't know what. All I knew is that if I didn't do these things, I felt my parents were going to die kind of thing. <laughs> it sounds kind of, kind of wacky, but it's just kind of how it works. Uh, and so I just go through my life doing compulsions or people call them rituals, not like in the occultic sense rituals, but like um, in a sense that you would just have to do certain things, count to 10 a sound amount of times or walk through doors in and out of the door, in and out of the door, in and out of the door. And so as you can see, this can kind of affect your social life a little bit when you feel like you have to do compulsions. And so as I got older, I would begin to bring these things up to God in my prayers, like, God, why do I do these things? Why do I think my mom and dad is going to die all the time? Or my sisters are going to die. And I would, be, I would be afraid. So I'd flip the light switch on. And I'd walk in out the door. By the time I was 13, 12, 13, my mom kind of caught on. <laughs> She's like, why do you do those things? I knew enough not to say, because I think you're going to die. <laughs> I, that was, uh, that was, I knew enough to avoid counseling uh, that I didn't want. But that was just how I dealt with it. She kind of would ask me why I did things like that. And I wouldn't have a real answer. I wouldn't have any answers to why I did things like that. I just did them. But nothing really changed. And so my life from 10 was just OCD, on and off. So OCD is kind of like on a spectrum. There's different forms of it. But on and off, I'd just do these quirky things. <clears throat> and I would kind of learned people with OCD, a lot of the battle is up here in their mind. So you learn to push those things into yourself. You learn to just hide them and vent them in private or somewhere else where you could kind of be alone. And some people can't control it as much. I could do enough where I could kind of function and be fine. And I could be in my mind, like a raging storm of like fear and obsession of these fears. And so even thinking about it, I'm like, you know, that time 
was not easy, especially as a kid. What I should have done was should have gotten help. I should have talked to people about it, but I didn't. I just pushed it in and kept going. <laughs> By the time I was 13, that's when it really hit hard. It formed into a form called scripturosity. I'm not, it's a different form of OCD where you hyper obsess about your right standing with the Lord. You doubt your salvation. You, you just can't help but think, oh man, did I say the sinner's prayer just right? Did I do these things just right? Is God really hearing me? Is God going to save me? Is God even listening to me? God, because I knew enough. I've heard the, the altar call uh, hundreds of times. I knew enough, like your ABCs growing up in church, admit, believe, and confess. I knew what to do. But the question with, with OCD was, did I do it just right? Mm. Did I say the prayer right? Did God, did I really repent? Did I really confess my sins? And as I would go to church, as you can imagine, altar calls and messages and all that ate at me. I would go to church on a Sunday and I would come home and the rest of the day was just the sinner's prayer over and over and over and over again. And it was, that was my ritual. My compulsion was to say the sinner's prayer. My obsession was and fear was that when I got before the throne of God, that he would say, I never knew you. Mm. And that scared me as a kid. Okay, my mom and dad could die. Okay, I could probably stomach that eventually and get over that. But when I stand before an almighty judge and I'm not clean, I'm found dirty. When I'm the, the, the sheeps and the goats are separated and I'm on the goat side, what can I do? There's no assurance in my salvation. There's no blessed assurance as the hymns we're singing every Sunday. I'm like, Lord, I want that blessed assurance that you offer, but it seems to escape me. And so I would say the prayer over and over and over again. And that was my walk. That was my faith. It was just saying that prayer, God, save me. But what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to admit? I couldn't get those answers because that was the OCD. That was what OCD gripped on me. It was that assurance is not yours. And I want to be careful because I can look at back and I can see what God has done. Uh, and I, I evaluate this time in my life. And I want to be careful because OCD is, in me, it was naturally occurring. It just came up out of nowhere when I was 10 years old. I don't know why. And it started with the fear of my parents dying. And I would just do rituals, doing doorways and light switches and all that stuff. But what happened was when I got older and I started letting my flesh and my sin into my life, I, make, I think it coincided it became more of a spiritual battle as well as a mental battle. When mental disorders, they cross into spiritual sometimes. And I can't say that's the case for everybody, but I can say it's the case for me. I let my mental battles cross into my spiritual because I let my flesh, I left the door open to the enemy because I, I started lusting when I was 13 years old. I didn't know, like, you know, as a, as a, as a boy becomes a man and puberty, all that, but I just gave into it. And so lust was just a part of my life. About 13, 14, I would just, you know, think about any girl, any girl I wanted to, and I'd just lust over her without any hesitation. But I didn't know. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was fleshly. I knew I shouldn't do it, but I did it. But I did not know that I was eventually inviting demons to, to fellowship with me because I did it so much that I was setting up altars to, to not God. I wasn't invested in, in the scriptures and reading the Bible like I should but I was welcoming the darkness in my life. And I didn't know that. I just knew um, that I was doing it. I was habitually doing it. And that's what, who I was. And so I just did it. But I didn't know it affected my OCD. I didn't know they tied together. And I didn't know that's why when I went to church, I couldn't stand the altar call. And I couldn't stand sometimes even my youth pastor. I had a really good youth pastor when I was young. 
probably the first really spirit-filled man. And something about him, I just, I didn't know if I wanted to be around him. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, like he's something about him is convicting me. Something about him is pushing me, you know? And so, he, you know, he was a great youth pastor and, he, and but I just kind of wanted to avoid church. I kind of wanted to do my own thing and that was it. But it became a problem because I remember one night I had this dream and I was in, I was sleeping and I had, I was asleep and I had all these girls in my bed in my dream. And as you can imagine that where that dream was going. And um, they disappeared. And all of a sudden this black ball came in, like hovered into the room through my door. And I, I, I know, obviously looking back, I know it's a you know, demonic attack. And I was freaking out. I was like, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I, sh- I, I shouldn't have been doing this, God. I know, I, do, I know what I'm doing is wrong. God, forgive me, forgive me. That black ball all the more came and it set, up, set upon me. And it was just like, fear gripped me and I woke up and then I woke up and I'm awake, but I can't move. <laughs> so I'm now I'm like, Jesus, I'm like screaming, but I can't move. And I'm screaming for Jesus to help me. And finally I'm like released. And I take off into my sister's room because I'm freaked out. I don't want to be in my room anymore. And I remember for the first time, I felt like I heard, heard God's voice, not like audibly, but like in your spirit. And I remember him like saying like, Will, this is, your, this is what your flesh is doing. This is what your sin is doing to you. Stop. And I was like, Phew. so as you can imagine, like a 13-year-old kid, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to stop lusting. <laughs> After this, I'm done, God. I get the point. Don't need, a, don't need that happening anymore in my life. So really, I, I went for like a whole year, just more so based off of fear of what I had just experienced and more so wanting to actually pursue God, wanting to actually have a deeper relationship but all the while, this OCD is still plaguing me. Like, I just can't stop doubting my salvation. So I feel like I'm stuck in the mud. Anytime I hear the convicting spirit to move me deeper into spirit, there's this voice. I don't like a voice, but like, it's just something. What if you're not saved? What does this even matter? Are you even saved yet? Are you even saved? Why, 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 why even try to deeper your relationship? How about you not go to hell first, Will? So the sinner's prayer over and over and over again. Any day would be a dozen times. Typically every Sunday would be hundreds of times. Lots of prayers. I probably, I might hold the record. I'm not sure about that. I talked to somebody else with OCD out there and see how many times. You need to lose count. Anyways, a year later to the date, I'm talking almost to the day, I'm pretty sure. I remember I had the same dream. This time there was no women in that, in that dream. But I saw that black ball again come into my room. And I was like, God, have I, have I not been faithful? Have I not stopped lusting? Like, why is this here, God? And I, as I said that, a lion came in from the ceiling and it laid on top of me. And that black ball began to just move away from me and back out of the room. And then when it left, the lion had lifted and then it disappeared. Then a lamb came down and it laid on top of me. And I just woke up thinking, wow, thank you, God. Like there is something spiritual happening in me. And God was showing me his sovereignty. Like, I'm here to protect you. I am the lion and the lamb. I remember this just being pivotal in this time point because although lusting was still a struggle and still an issue, I had this sense that God was with me. And remember, I, I didn't really have a theological background to tell me about this stuff. I was like, oh, I 
Don't know what that was, but that's not good. It was probably the, probably the devil. I'm pretty sure. I didn't know how to fight. I didn't know how to pick up my sword. I didn't know how to, you know, take this word and, and, and turn it into a sword. I just had this basic understanding of say the prayer, get saved, live a good life. And God, has, this whole time, he's saying, I'm calling you deeper. I'm calling you further in. I always read C.S. Lewis, Lewis, further in, further up. Keep coming, keep drawing to me. But I wanted to keep God in this time period at, at a distance. I wanted to say, you stay here, I'll stay here. Thanks for saving me. He's like, that's not what it is, Will. God was saying, stay beside me, stay beside me. And as I got older, um, 16, 17, 18, that was just my life. That was, you know, uh, flip on light switches to make it feel better, back in and out of doors to make it feel better. I would have um, episodes where I'd panic. Um, I would go into a, like a, a panic, a, almost like a manic panic, <laughs> where I would say the prayer so many times that I felt this dark presence would come and it would just like be around me. And if you've ever felt the dark presence, you know, of depression, you can, it sucks the air out of the room. It like takes it away and you just become fidgety and panic and you're like freaking out. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I don't want it. So I just go outside and I'll just walk because I kind of lived in the country, Royal Arrow, and I just walk and walk in the, in the field just to get away from whatever that was. But I noticed it would come back when I would get in my rituals. When I would get into that, it would come back. At the time, I know that they were intercolliding, that my mental disorder was colliding with my spiritual in, in some way. And I was, I, I began to piece together that these, these were demonic buff presences buffeting me of some sort. And it was attached to my OCD. And so I had no idea. I couldn't get in. And so where things begin to just take a deep dive, I began to go to college. And, you know, I, I grew up in high school and I could, you know, if you knew me in high school, really, I mean, most part, the only person that's really seen me freak out is my best friend. You know, he's been around me so much. He's probably seen an episode or two. And he's like, yeah, man, that's pretty weird. <laughs> but he's the only one. He's been close enough and around me enough. There's enough frequency to see it. But for the most part, it's just to myself, keep to myself and just deal with it, deal with it, push away, avoid church, avoid altar calls. I hated youth camp, if you can imagine, <laughs> going to this altar call every night. So that's when, that's when my best friend saw one of my episodes, just going and going to kind of a manic, like I was just like, you say the prayer so many times, it drives you crazy, you know what I'm saying? At this time, you know, about 19 years old, I got into college up here in Oklahoma State. And, um, you know, I, I started looking, where. <laughs> We really got bad. I started looking at pornography and that was where I took a bad turn. So my lust went from just in my mind to more of a physical to pornography. I just began to just jump into it where I was addicted to it every day. I would look at pornography. And at this point, my walk with Christ was, God, I've been doing this thing for eight years, nine years. I'm tired. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't even know if you're there anymore. If you're there. My, one of my older sisters, Lacey, taught me how to pray. When I remember she would say, if you're doubting God, just say, God, I, if you're there, I want, to, I want to know that you're there. Just keep praying, she'd say, keep praying. So I did. I said, God, I've asked you in my heart so many times. I keep knocking on the door. Nobody's answering. I don't feel assurance of my salvation. Sometimes now I'm, I'm doubting that you're there. It was really hard in that time period. It was just, I was brought up in church. So that's what you do. You go over Sunday, right? Um, maybe go to a small group, but... There was just nothing, nothing there. I began to just dive into pornography and make bad decisions. And I didn't know it was only making things worse. It was making things so much worse. And so I did that. So for a year, I just looked at pornography. 
And I would just kind of, God was there. I mean, I'd want to pursue God as much as I can, but it really, it really was take, he was taking a back seat. I didn't really, I didn't hear from God as if, you know, I, I do now, obviously. Where it came to a catalyst was there was this point in my life where my sister, uh, my other sister, Bree, she was um, at the, she's about two years older than me. So we kind of shared quarters in our home. And she would come, she actually went to the same school, Oklahoma State. And she would come home at the same times on her breaks and all that stuff. But man, then in high school, it was tough because she was, she was in a dark place, dark, dark place. Like she didn't like the light on in her room dark. And she was addicted to cocaine, the drugs. She was suicidal. We didn't know if she, she'd go out one night. We didn't know if she'd come back dead or alive. Just didn't know where she was. She'd come home. She'd have episodes where she'd just be super mad. Kind of play with Ouija boards. So, you know, <laughs> you can imagine the darkness. That was me and my sister probably, you know, I don't know what was going on, but we probably shared some oppression here and there. But yeah, she was just super out. And I was like, man, God, save her. You know, like, I know I need help, but she really needs help. One day I come home. It's like on a, on a winter or Thanksgiving break, I come home and there she is on the couch. She's not wearing dark clothes anymore. She's not, they're dark, her dark demeanor left. And she's on the couch singing worship songs about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, what's up, Bree? She's like, I just so in love with Jesus, Will. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, like last week, you're going to kill yourself. Now what, you're in love with Jesus? I'm like, awesome. Like, this is crazy. And, but then it didn't stop. Like she just kept singing. Like I'm talking the whole afternoon on the couch. And I'm like, I'm happy for you. We're all happy for you, but we also want to watch TV and you just keep playing the guitar and singing to Jesus. I was like, uh, we're happy, but go play, go sing to Jesus in your room. And, and you know, every time we came home, the same thing. She'd just be coming, she'd be singing about Jesus. I'll come home, she's just on the, on the couch. And I was like, okay, well, I know God, but she knows God. She knows Jesus in a way that I don't. It's different. Let's just say it, it's different. And she was like praying in tongues and I could hear her praying to herself in tongues, you know? And I was like, what's going on? Once again, like, you know, I grew up in a, in a probably a pseudo cessationist background where you don't, you don't pray in tongues. You don't do that. Um, you definitely don't give prophetic words. You don't do none of that stuff. But I cannot deny that she loves Jesus and her life is radically different than mine. I am stuck in the mud of OCD and rut and pornography and she's was on death's door and resurrected to something I don't even recognize anymore. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go hang out with her. So I started to do that. In college, I would say she was probably more of the hippie-ish type kind of person. I'm very much reserved, um, kind of like, you know, I'll just kind of keep to myself, you know, and I'm not very much expressive of my emotions. I kind of keep that stuff inside. And she's like loving, singing, dancing. I'm just like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll come hang out with you. And so I started hanging out with her and kind of her, her crowd. Around the same point, I had gotten so tired of pornography that I took a hammer to my computer. I took it outside in my backyard, I remember my house in college, and I put a, I put a hammer through it. I said, I'm done, God. I said, God, I don't know if you're there. I don't know what. I said this prayer a thousand times. I don't want to be addicted to pornography anymore. Hammer, bam, laptop, decimated. <laughs> so I just smashed my computer and I said, God, I'm done. Even if you're not there, I'm going to try to live like you are. And that was it. I just, that was kind of a few days before. And so the story takes a turn here. 
So my sister works at an Indian restaurant from a guy named Finney. And I start working there too. I don't know how to start following Brie around. It's like, that's the best idea I can have. So I start following Brie around. And the guy named Finney, I just meet him. And he comes up to me. And that's the first time I saw this guy. This Indian guy just goes, puts his hands on my shoulders, looks at me and goes, Will, you are going to know God. And I was like, thanks, Finney. I, I, I'm a Christian. He goes, no, 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 no. You are going to know God. And I was like, okay. I'll just take that. It's the first time I've been prophesied over. I was just like, all right, thanks, Finney. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. But anyways, I just started working for this guy. And one night, like he had like prayer sessions at his Indian restaurant. After it closed around 1030, he would invite people back and we'd just have prayer circles. And so I remember just coming in one of the prayer circles and nothing fancy. It was just a lot, honestly, a lot like this setting right here. A few people in a room were... Um, Praying, no lights, no worship band, no music, nothing. Just a few people praying to God. And I remember sitting in that prayer circle and I was like, I just had met most of these people other than my sister and my roommate whom I just met. I remember God just weighing on my heart, weighing. It felt like a, like a ton of bricks just <gasps> sitting right here. And I remember God prompting me, confess, repent, repent, repent of your sin, Will, repent. I was like, God, I know I need to. And he's like, confess your sins, these people will. Confess your sins. And I was like, fine, I'll confess. And so I kind of interrupt the prayer meeting as if anybody's been in one, you kind of go the awkwardness. And they go, hey guys, I just want you to know I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to lust. I doubt my salvation. That's all I said. I remember the prayer circle which was this big, now became a lot smaller because they are all around me. <laughs> and uh, they began to get around me and they began to pray for me. And I was like, okay, God, I confessed, I confessed. And then I heard my sister. I heard my sister, the woman that was the least of our family, the one that you had thought would have been dead, the one whom I thought I was more spiritual. I heard her in behind me praying and she was praying in tongues. I didn't know what she was saying. She's praying to God. And as soon as her hand touched my back, Like I went, I lost all capacity of my, my body. It wasn't an option. I was on my knees, she touched my back, and I'm on my face. The hand of God touched me, and I lost all capacity, and all of a sudden, I began to scream. Something came out of me, I was screaming. It was just like a, a, a scream. I wasn't screaming, I was just screaming on the floor. And I began, as I screamed, like something was coming out of me. Like physically, I felt like a bubble, like my mouth, like felt like I was stretched, stretching out. Like I couldn't, I couldn't open my mouth any further. And I began to scream and scream. And as something came out, I felt a sigh, like a relief. 
I almost I gained control of my my facility and I just begin to scream, Jesus! At the top of my lungs, I'm screaming, Jesus, save me! Jesus, save me! Save me, Jesus! And I remember for the first time, I felt like the presence of God, like he was there. Like I've been knocking on the door for eight, nine years, however long it's been to this point. I've been pounding on this door. God, where are you? I've been searching for you. I've said the prayer hundreds of times. And in that moment, he was there. His mercy was there. His grace was there. And I grabbed the hold of him. And I felt that that forgiveness for the first time. It just like, it was, he was there. I don't know how to explain it. I didn't say the sinner's prayer. <laughs> I didn't say the sinner's prayer, but there he was. He showed up. It kind of reminds me of that verse where he says, keep knocking. And I did. And so it felt like two minutes, but apparently we were there for like two or three hours. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently we were there a long time, but I felt like it was like that. I get up and I said, what in the world just happened? Because as you know, I'm like, I'm going to buttoned up. Like I don't just scream on the floor. That's not me. Uh, but I guess, you know, that's me who I am now. Um, so I, I just got done that night and I, I look at my sister. I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. And looking back as a mature Christian, obviously I was being, I was being delivered of all, you know, I definitely had invited the demonic to look at pornography. And I had definitely just been doing all the bad stuff. And apparently that was affecting me a lot more than I would have led to believe than I would have known. So, but as moments as my sister prayed over me, it was just gone. And through the Holy Spirit working through, you know, these gifts, I'm, I'm here today. And Little did I know, because obviously I was not able to listen to my surroundings at that point, my roommate, Josh, was actually interpreting the tongues being prayed over me for my sister. Just all this is coordinating in my life because I believed this doesn't happen. When I read my Bible and I grew up, like these are the people I don't hang out with. These are the people I avoid. I don't go and in these prayer circles and let people pray in tongues over me. I don't let people prophesy over me. I don't let those things happen. But God said, that's not how it's going to be, Will. I'm going to use the body through my spirit to deliver you. So I, I don't even know where I would be if I didn't open myself up to, you know, my sister and these, and these people. And I've always read the word of God and I've earnestly pursued, you know, Christ as much as I could, even though I let sin come into my life, I just said, shut that out of my life. And so God was like, I'm going to teach, teach you a new thing now. And he started teaching me new things. And so the new things he was doing, funny enough, I had just actually met my wife a week before this event happened, our, our 11th anniversaries this week. And so God was doing something new um, in me at this time. And so I look up, everything else, it didn't matter. I, you know, like the expressions, everything grew dim, that's exactly what happened to me. Everything grew dim. Like, I just wanted to seek God, seek the kingdom. I just wanted to pursue Christ. And I was blind, but now I see. And I look up and I realize my OCD is gone. No more sinner's prayer. No more light switches. No more nothing. I look back and I say, what in the world happened to me? I know that 
God's sovereignty, not only did he extend his hand to save me, he physically restored me as well. He renewed my mind. You see OCD sits in a category of mental disorder, so it's meant to stick with you. But Jesus says, no, it's not going to stick with you. I'm going to put my hand upon you, and you're going to be set free. Now, I caution it because I'm just like the guy, I remember, like, you know, I can't remember which gospel it was where he was healed by Christ, and he gets before the Pharisees says, look, I'm blind, but now I see. That's all I can tell you. I, I met Jesus. Now I don't have these things. And that's me. I don't have a solution for those who are suffering with OCD. I just have a story. And I say, look, I invested in sin. I had a mental disorder as a kid where I'd have to do these things, and I was very much rigorous in doing those things. I let my sin pour gas on that fire. But when Christ came in, he not only saved me from my sin, he took away that disorder as well. So there was something about that that really just stuck with me. And so as I'm pursuing this new walk, something started happening. I hear this, that prompting that told me to confess. Well, it's coming back. That the Holy Spirit starts to guide me. Will, listen. And so I'd read the word and I felt this connection with the Holy Spirit, with God in a new way. I remember when I started accelerating in my life. This is 13 years ago, right? So this is like my earliest memories of when God's like, all right, we're doing a new thing now. We're starting to work. I remember saying, Bree was like, hey, um, I'm going to go to Kansas City uh, for this conference called IHOP. And I was like, oh, IHOP, huh? <laughs> I was like, I read about these folks, you know, these Kansas City, Kansas City prophets and whatnot. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll go. I'm cautious because I, I, I've seen the abuse of, of, I've seen the abuse of the gifts. I mean, we've all seen it where people just, abuse the gifts and do crazy things and like bark and all that, you know, like that's just my mindset. Now that's where I came from growing up. But I also couldn't deny what had happened to me. And I read the scriptures and it just laid out plainly, like it all makes sense. So it's like, I'll go. And so I go to Kansas City. They have like the 24 seven hour prayer room up there and uh, they're having their conference and I get there and they're having speakers. And so on one particular speaker, I decided, you know what? I'm just not feeling, I'm going to go, I'm going to go in the prayer room. I'm just going to sit and listen to worship music and um, just got to decompress. And so I um, got there and I'm kind of sitting there like, God, I just, because at this point, it's like kind of like waves. God, you were so tangible a little bit ago. Why can't I be, why can't you be tangible like that all the time? Like, why am I, you know, I read my Bible. I'm like, you know, about then I was immature in my faith where I was attributing my closeness to God with my feelings. And so I was like, well, you're super evident you know, a few months ago, you know, so where are you now? And so, you know, now as you grow, you, you understand that more. And so as I was there at the room, I remember God just, I was like, God, I just want to feel you. I want to know you're with me. I want to know your presence is here. I'm just, it's, I don't know what song's playing. There's some song they're singing on stage. And so I put my head down. You know, the people that the, the international sign of distress in the church is you putting your head down <laughs> like that. You know, somebody's going through something. So that was me. And um, so I sit there and I remember this getting this joy hit me. Like first time in my life, like inexplainable joy. Like where I just begin to laugh. Like, I don't know. Once again, reserved person. I'm laughing. I don't know what's going on. I am super joyous of my salvation. I'm singing worship like I've never worshiped before. Like worship up to this point was like, you just do it before a service, but now it's like everything. It's like, you know, if you've really been in depth in the spirit and worship. So God's like, all right, listen, there's a guy. You see him right there? I want you to talk to him. And I was like, once again, this is like the first promptings of the spirit. So I'm like, I don't, 
want to talk to that guy. Don't want to do that. So I do it. <laughs> so I let him pass once. And he walks out again twice. God's like, talk to him, Will. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So here he comes, third pass. I get up out of my seat and we get, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic here. We get this close to each other, face to face. And I'm like, all I said, I don't know why this came out of my mouth. All I said is, what are you doing here? <laughs> and the stranger just goes, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't know. I felt God told me to stop you. And all right, he goes, let's sit. And so we sit down on the floor. As this worship stuff is going around, you know, we're just kind of doing our own thing here, talking to each other. And I go, I go listen, man, why are you here? I said, no, I go, why are you in the prayer room? And he goes, well, I was on my way to the service and I was stopped by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told me to walk the aisle three times and a man will approach you. And I said, okay, so it sounds like we're supposed to be here. It was like, he goes, yes, I would say this is a divine encounter. You know, that wasn't in my vocabulary yet. And I said, a divine encounter. And he goes, look, I feel like I'm supposed to prophesy over you. And so here's some, here comes a second prophecy. He says, Will, God is giving you a gift. You're going to be able to look into people's hearts and see their past and present. It's like they won't be able to hide things from you. You're going to use that to bring them to repentance. And I said, all right. <laughs> but, but now I'm, I'm conditioned. For the first time, I was like, okay, this is, this is something to this. Now I'm conditioned. I'm like, okay, well, I received that word. Thank you. You know, so I'm like super stoked. There's something divine about this. And I go on my way. And then God's like, I'm not done. We're just, we're building a foundation, Will. We're building a foundation. You want to push into my spirit. I will give you as much as you can handle, but it's going to make you uncomfortable. And I said, okay, I'm going to read this word. I'm going to pray. God, pour out your spirit on me. I want to be a vessel. A month later, different group of people, not the group I went to IHOP with. I went with my roommate down actually to Waco. And we're just going to have a weekend at this guy's house. I, I remember this guy. I don't know his name, but I remember him to this day because he's a staple in my faith. I say that because he was a young man, probably my age at the time. And he had kids. I remember going to his house. It was like bowl season. So if you're a football fan, there's bowl games on that time. He's from Waco and Waco is in a bowl game. And I was like, hey, you know, you're going to catch the game. Uh, so-and-so Baylor's playing. He's like, yeah, I'll probably catch it at the office. And it's like, I was like, why at the office? Like, and I look around, this guy has no TVs in his house. And I was like, you got no TVs here. He's like, no, I just, I feel like it's too much of a temptation for me and my family. And I have young boys and I don't want them growing up with screens and temptations in front of them. So <laughs> I'm like, this guy's on another level. Like I've, I've been, I've been a lot of people's homes in America and this guy has no TVs. Like he's seeking the Lord to say the least. So we, we just go there to fellowship. We eat dinner, and that night we're supposed to just have a prayer circle and worship songs and whatnot. Just a group of guys. And I knew it was legit right when uh, we started because there's this one guy who was there, and he was like, kind of like one of those guys who feels like he has to give a prophetic word all the time, I guess. And the guy just shuts him down and goes, listen, hey, so-and-so, that's not from God. Don't feel like you have to do that. I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, all right, this guy, is, he's, he's, he's in tune right now. So I'm just under his lead. And so once again, as my personality goes, I'm in a living room setting and I go and I sit behind the couch, kind of out of view of the, of the, of the group. I can just sit back and I can just kind of rest my head and just talk to God. And I said, God, once again, when you come from a Christian 
you know, you, 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 you're trying to say, I want to be close to God. I want to feel that tangibleness of God. But you don't always feel that. That's not what the walk of Christ is. And at that time of my, my faith, I was seeking that. I was seeking that high of God. I want to feel you move all the time. And he's like, it's, it's not there. So I'm, I'm sitting, God, I just want to feel you one more time. God, speak. And I said, Lord, I want to feel you. Have these men in this room. Please have them pray over me. And I, I kid you not, as soon as I prayed that prayer, instantaneous, the guy stops his guitar. He goes, Will, where are you? And I kind of pop up from behind the couch. And he goes, all right, guys, pray, pray for Will. Let's go put our hands on Will. And now I'm starting to think, this is real. It's all real. And then he goes, Will, I have a word for you. I want you to know God has given you the ability to look into people's hearts, see their past and their present. You're going to use this for his glory. He prophesied the same thing. Mm. The, another man in another state a month before, the same words, the same thing. And I'm saying, God, what is this? Obviously, you want my attention. So I go from this feeble Christian at eight years old saying, God, save me. A, a child's prayer to a crushing pressure of OCD but I drove myself away from God in my flesh that I, I look back on. I didn't know that it mixed into the spiritual because nobody ever taught me that. Nobody sat me down and said, hey, this is driving you to the auctions of demons. This is driving you to the house that you... It says in Proverbs, if you read the Bible, don't go by her door. Where is she going to lead you? She's going to take you down the shield. And that's exactly where she took me. And so I didn't know that. I just knew I shouldn't do it because it was bad. I didn't know what bondage I was getting myself in. I didn't know that the presences of darkness around me were demonic presences buffeting me, holding me down. And it wasn't until that I surrendered to God and I repented. And I said, Lord, this is yours. My sin is yours. And through the people that I thought were not biblically sound were the people that brought me God's Holy Spirit and redemption. And now my life 13 years later, I've never walked away from the great physician. I've never walked away from him. Sure, I'm not perfect. Sure, I'm still tempted. Sure, there's seasons where it's harder than others. But I've never walked away. I said, Lord, you are my shepherd. Lead me by still waters. Your staff, they comfort me. And what I thought was so perplexing in the first few of my walk in my faith, the first six months, has really just become normal. It's just who I am now. I hear the Lord of the Lord. I see it come to pass. I see dreams. The dreams come to pass. Does that mean every word I see in dreams and words come are, are clear? They're not. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes I pray over them. I call my sisters. I call my church. I call people. I say, what does this mean? But I read the word of God. And if I didn't have the gifts that God has given his church, I don't know where I would be. I don't know if I'd be in the same state if I was, I was 13 or not, but it's dangerous. And sometimes I'm scared for the church. But the very things that God has given us to deliver us, we're sometimes we shut them down. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be a part of, of, of a church that doesn't use every asset we have that God has given us. I say that to be clear. I love the church and I want us to work together. But I've seen Jesus. I've seen what he can do. He's taken me out of the muck and the clay and he's washed me off and put me on my feet. Mm. And I'm that's forever grateful. <laughs> and I'm taking one day at a time. <laughs> so 
And so that's why I'm here. So that's kind of the, the nutshell of the whole thing. There's a lot of other things we could talk about, but if you want to put a nice bow on it, that's, that's where I'm at today. I'm just like, what next, God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, who is Jesus to you? Man, Jesus is the, the great shepherd. He's my savior. He's my friend. I mean, he's the breath, he's the air I breathe. Maybe you could say it metaphorically. <laughs> you said, well, uh, that you've been walking with Jesus now. Well, since th- those moments has been uh, 13 years. Yeah. 13 years. Um, in these last 13 years, and as you've received these prophetic words and you've seen God move in a different way, how has life been for you these last 13 years, even in your family, walking with your wife and um, having this uh, people to walk with. How how has the last 13 years been for you now walking with Jesus in this way? I always like to put it this way. Um, if you if you ever seen the Lord of the Rings or read The Hobbit, I know it's kind of a funny uh, illustration, but where Gandalf comes to the to, to Bilbo's door in The Hobbit, right? He knocks on it and he's like, all right, we got work to do. Like he has, Gandalf has seen so many things and he's coming back to Bilbo to help this start. To, and he's starting with a hobbit who knows nothing. Well, I feel like I'm kind of like Gandalf coming back <laughs> to lots of people in their early stages of faith. Like God has done so much. Like I can't point to one, two or three things that he's done. I'm like, I'm like, guys, we're in a war. We got to get going. We're fighting for the souls of men. You know, we don't have time to sit and, and, and be, you know, lack of a better word, hobbits is, you know, hobbits and, you know, in our little comfort in the meadow, we got to get out and we got to go where God is sending us, where he's leading us, be brave in what we're doing. So it's affected my family in that my wife and I have this understanding that where God leads, we will go. You know, it's not like always, you know, like, oh, this is a great venture awaits. We're going to go overseas. We're going to do these things. But it's like, if God leads us to do something, we're going to drop our things and we're going to do that thing. Mm. I'm not afraid to feel a prompting in the spirit and confront somebody when I need to confront them. I'm not afraid to share a dream, right? I'm not afraid to do these things. But really what it comes down to is getting in that community, wherever you are, plugging in to like-minded believers and doing life together, breaking bread, waiting the return of Christ. So wherever I go with my family, friends, you know, we do that. I, I talk to my sisters quite a bit, my wife quite a bit about our faith where we're at, what their family's doing, how we can pray. Looking back on it, I know God has given me discernment to spot the demonic. So we're going to go pray over that room, over that person. You may say that person has some sort of mental thing. Why? I can see that it's not. Mm. I can see that's a demon. Sometimes that demon can see me. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not going to mess around. It's time for you to leave. You You know, basically when God prompts you to do those things. So it's not like, oh, that's the beauty of it. The more you draw into Christ the more he shows you. That's right. And so that's kind of how it shifted. Like it was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, now I know what to do, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what it is. I just take it as it comes. Something comes up. There's been quite a few things that come up um, and, and I'll, I'll do it spiritually. I have my spiritual eyes on first, not my, my worldly eyes. That's the main thing that's changed. Mm-hmm. Well, what comes to mind when you think about your salvation now? Oh man. I just, it's amazing. Like, I'm just like, I, 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 I say this with a grain of salt. I am waiting. Like, 
Lord, when you take me, take me. <laughs> I'm ready. Like, I'm here to do work. You know, Paul says, you know, Paul's like, you know, I'm, I'm here in the body. I'm going to do my work, but, you know, I'm ready to go. That's kind of my mentality. It's like, God, I'll, I'll live as long as you want me to. I'm ready to come home, God. I want to be with you. I want to be in that fellowship with you, Christ. Like, I can't wait to see you one day face to face. And so, till that day, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing what he has me do. <laughs> Amen. Will, can you pray for people who are watching that maybe are struggling with understanding salvation? Mm. And yes. maybe they're looking at you and they're saying, Will, I want that. I want what you have. I want that freedom. I want that peace that I don't have right now. I want to walk with Jesus. Could you just pray for them as they're watching on the other side of the screen right now? Yeah. Amen. Lord, whoever is watching, God bless them. God, let your grace flow like a river over them right now. Deliver them from the enemy's hand. And Lord, that they are faithfully serving you and doing everything they can to shake this disorder, to shake this illness, lead them to whatever way that they can experience your grace. God, sometimes you allow us to have these things, but just like you gave me my thorn, it kept me next to you. And Lord, I would need to be next to you. So Lord, if it is your will, deliver these people of obsessive compulsive disorder in any form. In the name of Jesus, I pray over these people. God, if it is of the enemy, I command it to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. But this person will be restored of their illness. And if it is of the medical mindset, God, you give them the best help. They reach out for help. Don't let them recoil into their own self. Let them reach out, God, to whatever resources are available. Don't let them hide. God, for yours is the glory in their life. Yours is the kingdom in their life. And let there be another story just like mine, that you came along to me, a wounded sheep, and you restored me. I pray for you today. Amen. Amen. Will, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? Yeah. I guess the last words is, I think a lot of us are sometimes in our faith where we want to want God. That's all I can say is sometimes you get there where you're like, I, I don't know what to do, but I want to want you. And I remember the words that really helped change me was when C.S. Lewis said, well, if you want to want God, then there's already a want there. <laughs> I think you're on the right path. Keep pursuing that and keep knocking. Christ said, keep knocking. And one day you'll be surprised when he opens that door up. <laughs> so God bless him that. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.